Welcome to Awakening Torah, Musar Mindfulness, Awakening of the Chukotai, our Parsha, Parasha this week. Welcome and allow yourself to settle and arrive if you're just joining us now. And we are just read this Parsha last Shabbat yesterday here in Israel. For those outside of Israel, we'll read it this coming Shabbat. So this gives you an opportunity to jump in and study this. Grateful to have you. I am Rabbi Chasioriel Steinbauer, the founder and director of the Institute for Holiness, Hamachon Lekdusha Kehilat Musar. This is our weekly offering to the community where we delve in to the weekly parsha to encounter the text and tradition as a launching pad and from the perspective from the lens of Musar mindfulness. And it allows us to practice, to have us grow in our own wise discernment and compassion. So before we begin, as we do every week, as you are beginning to allow yourselves to settle and arrive, whether you're here on Zoom, welcome, Mark, good to see you. Or if you are joining us live streaming on Facebook and our YouTube channel on LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, we are going to share our kavanot, our intention for today's practice as we do every week. So we say here, and for those of you listening on audio and can't see the visual, we say before doing acts of caring for the self, we say, this is something I am doing to strengthen my own soul in order to be a benefit to others in the future. And our second covenant, our second uh, practice of intention is the last one listed at the bottom. Before doing acts to strengthen our relationship with the divine, however we define that, we say to ourselves and out loud, this is something I am doing to strengthen my relationship with the creator so I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. So we take that and we we uh, move forward with our practice uh, with today's learning and talk and then moving into a guided mindfulness meditation. I ask that we hold off on questions, comments, uh, that section until the end of the session. Um, so I'm going to start off by saying this is our 34th sitting. That's kind of amazing together. We've started at Bereshit together, the very first uh, of Genesis, and have moved through this cycle together. And we offer it every Sunday, Bezrat uh, Hashem, God willing, at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 p.m. here in Israel. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to dedicate this time to our practice, to be in community together, taking that refuge so that we can do the work that's needed so badly in the world. Um, and so may this strengthen us as we move forward. Um, I'm going to start off by saying I'll give a brief overview of this parasha. And then I'm going to give what I give as a disclaimer before what I what I perceive 
And what I interpret and encounter in the text is a very challenging, difficult text. Not to say that there aren't others, there are, and I've done this before, but we'll see why in a bit if you haven't had a chance. So in this week's Parsha, basically what happens is um, there is this starting off with if you do X, meaning if you follow my laws, God saying this, um, then you'll experience many blessings. And it goes through the blessings, enjoying rain at the right time. Why rain? Well, if you know anything about the land of Israel, it only rains in the winter. If it doesn't rain the proper amount, the proper um, type, the proper timing and length, then it can, the land can be subject to famine. And so it's very important that rain is like the livelihood. So people prayed, our ancestors prayed for rain and saw it based on their behavior uh, affected if God was going to provide this blessing. So rain at the right time, healthy crops, safety and peace, and God will live among them. Now, after the blessings come many curses. If they do not follow the laws, it's even more than not following. It's like if they rebel against the laws. And we'll, we'll look at the, at the language to um, clarify this. They will be punished. So we're dealing with a biblical system of reward and punishment. Something that um, is not only foreign often to modern practitioners, but uh, sometimes distasteful, might not even, might have a strong reaction to this system. So we'll see what arises for us. Their land will stop producing food, meaning that obviously the rains will not come at the proper time. Enemy armies will take over and B'nai Israel will be scattered among the nations. That is the punishment or consequence of rebelling against God's laws. Then it goes on in this parsha that God will remember God's promises to the ancestors and will never punish the people too much. Sefer Vayikra, this is the last Torah portion in this book of the five books of Moshe in the Torah. It closes with a discussion of donations to the Mishkan, to the sanctuary for God in the universe, in the wilderness, excuse me, in the Midbar. And a person could donate a amount of silver associated to themselves according to the amounts recorded in the Torah. Finally, one-tenth of the harvest and newborn animals are considered gods, and this is called a ma'aser, a tithing. So that is a brief um, kind of summary of what we're looking at. This parsha is popular, popularly known as tochacha. Tochacha means reproof. It means someone kind of telling you what it, what, what's wrong with you and your behavior. Um, so I want to say that this, this Parsha and all its curses, if you haven't had a chance to read it or engage with it, it's very hard to read, very hard to encounter. Um, there can be very strong uh, rejection of us, almost aversion and the sense of um, rejecting the idea of a God who would do this, rejection of curses in general. Um, so see for what, see for yourself as you study this, or if you haven't yet, or even being here now, what arises for you, okay? See what your reaction is, if any. Um, I want to just acknowledge that like, for instance, for me, it's very hard. And um, I, I want to say our people's responses 
Okay, so our ancestors' responses to this difficult text, um, they also had difficulty with it. Um, so you're, you're not alone, you're in good company. Um, we basically traditionally do three, three things in, in response to this text. The first is we don't break up the Aliyah when we're reading it from the Torah. We read all 37 verses in a row because we don't want to have to keep reading this. All right. The second is we don't call someone up as an honor to the Aliyah unless they want it. So sometimes there'll be no one called up during this reading of this section. And finally, the third part is that traditionally it is a long-standing tradition for thousands of years to whisper this, to read this softly and quickly. Okay, so that's how our ancestors um, try to live both with this tradition as a people who either believe that this was their God and God actually did say this in the Torah and that they would be punished if they rebelled against God's laws, or they were just part of a tradition that believed still in the tradition of reading this text, not rejecting it wholeheartedly, and having the tradition being read out loud and encountering the difficulty of this when we come across this weekly Parsha. So what did our ancestors learn out from uh, Sefer Vayikra? Um, it's very interesting what is done with this. Um, basically, you have here where Ravi Akiva, uh, classically in the Sifra Kedushim, Parak Arba, Parak 4, he says that the Klau Gadol, the, 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 the big master rule of learning from Torah is from this Parsha and from Sefer Vayikra, but particularly this one. He says that um, it's Ve'ahavta Ve'recha Kamocha, that you are to love your neighbor, your friend like yourself. This is what he learns from these laws. And then the Talmud in Shabbat 31a tells a story of how Hillel, the famous Hillel and Shammai, these uh, famous Havruta learning partners, he takes Ravi Akiva's Klau Gadol, his big understanding and concept, he paraphrases this pasuk, and he says, if something is hateful to you, when it's done to you, don't do it to someone else. He then goes on to say, this is basically the entire point of the Torah coming in, especially coming out of Vaikra and the Hukotai, and that the rest is commentary, go and learn. So our ancestors take from this and establish these two, um, two ideas. So I, I want to bring in here um, some of the wisdom from the Buddha, uh, from Buddhist tradition and Theravada Vipassana in this concept of right understanding and how it ties to the Dharma and in particular karma and what that has to do with our Parsha. So in the Dharma, there's this idea if you have right understanding, it's in, you're in harmony with the Dharma, with the teachings um, of the path. And that without it, without this kind of right, wise understanding, that you will experience alienation and unease. Now, I want you to remember that because in the curses that are in our weekly Torah portion this week, that is definitely what the people 
are told that they will experience as punishment or consequence, that there will be alienation and unease. So let's just talk about this a little bit. So in the, in the, in the Buddhist traditions, we learn from the Buddha that basically there are wholesome and unwholesome actions and that they bring about their respected results. So each one of our acts has power. Our body, the deeds that we do, our speech, and our thoughts, they bring about results. And in the Buddha's teaching, there is an understanding that the law of karma is understood that in some ways it's the foundation of the entire dharma. This concept that when you act with intention and awareness and you act in unwholesome ways, when you act uh, it causing harm and suffering to others, that there are results for this. There are consequences for this behavior. And there's two kinds of concepts. There's a concept of present karma, meaning you will feel the effects immediately in the present moment. You'll either be in an embodied experience, you'll be aware of it, you'll experience it, or on some level, or how you feel, um, or perhaps you'll witness it and how the other feels around you based on the behavior. And there's also this long range awareness that you might not experience something immediately in the present moment in the sense of consequences for your immediate behavior, but there will be something long-term. And so I want to tie this to our blessings and punishments as that is the foundation, obviously, of the biblical religion and for Leviticus, for Vayikra. And what Hillel's uh, basically teaching that what is hateful to you do not do to someone else is really the source of peace and prosperity in our blessings. It's similar to the source of happiness and liberation in the Dharma and the Buddhist teaching. So understanding that our motives, our intention are really a determining factor in both traditions. Both traditions really highlight free will that we are responsible for our actions and behavior and that there are consequences for them. And so what leads to happiness, or in the, in the case of B'nai Israel, of our ancestors of peace and prosperity, is following the laws that are commanded to them. And what leads to suffering is rebelling against these laws that are laid out for them. So we pay attention to our motives and how we live. Um, and obviously, when one has remorse, as we even witness in this parsha, when there's great remorse, it is a purifying process in both traditions. Um, so I just want to say that even Akiva's love, love of your neighbor or your friend as yourself, is really also a part of the Buddha's liberation of the heart, which is love. It's through the four Brahma-viharas, this Khmeta, this chesed, this loving friendship, this gentle friendship, which is what Rabbi Akiva is learning out from the Torah. And also Rachabim, this great compassion, this response to suffering. And then Simcha, this joy, this sympathetic uh, joy to someone else's portion. And finally, the Munuchata Nefesh, this equanimity, this spaciousness and stillness of the mind when one is living in alignment with the path. And so now is where I'm going to share with you where you find this kind of stunning language in our Parsha, 
it's really helpful to learn from this other ancient tradition and how it can highlight for us what's going on in the Torah. So if you look in the first um, pasuk in Bachukotai, um, uh, let's see here. It says right here, Im Bechukotai Telechu. Okay, meaning it, it, it gets translated as if you follow my laws, but what it really means is if you walk in my laws, meaning God's laws and commandments in the Torah are a right path, a right path of life. And it's a frequent theme in biblical literature. And that's similar to like the noble eightfold path. You follow this wise path, this wise way of living in alignment. Then there are, of course, um, more wholesome consequences, right? More wholesome way of being. So I just want to venture and say that our ancestors really, really, we might even want to question to ourselves right now, like, why do we have this text? Why do we have to read something so painful every year? You know, there's those voices in our in our communities and our tradition that would like necessarily to get rid of these texts, maybe not read them, maybe not study them. And, and, and although I have great compassion and understand the impulse to not experience that discomfort, and obviously if someone has more something traumatic going on, any harm or suffering, um, but I want to say that um, I think that what our ancestors are teaching us by one, having this text and that they really believed it in a way that we might not today. I don't think we believe that there's a God that is going to punish us if we don't follow the laws or rebel against them. Um, but our ancestors did at one point. And, and what's behind that, I think the, what we could pull from that teaching is their total awareness that they believe their behavior had consequences, meaning there was an effect. Um, and that's not so popular in modern culture today. There's a big impulse in Western society, for instance, to one, not necessarily think that we're responsible for our actions or that there's consequences to them, either immediate or long-term. And um, I, I, I will close with one cute, not cute, eh, important story. Um, before we get to the curses, I just wanna point out the language if I can find it quickly here. Um, Yes. Okay. So I want to be sure that people understand this is not if somebody just by accident um, doesn't observe the laws, like it, they're not doing it with covenant, with intention. It's not, it's not something that, ha- that someone does by mistake. There's always a room for what we call teshuva, of returning and uh, coming back into alignment with wise behavior. But instead, it's basically... Um, these 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 verbs that are used, right? Say lo tishmauli. So you're not uh, listening, you're not following, you're not obeying, right? Velota asu, and you're not observing, you're not doing at kol mitzvot. Okay, you're not doing the the, the commandments, and then get ready. It's stronger than that. Ve'im bechukoktai tim asu. You reject the laws. Ve'im et mishpatai. Tig'al, okay, you are actually spurning the rules. It's not, it's not as if you're just making a mistake, okay? This is someone who 
in the society decides uh, a different path that one that the society feels is causing harm and suffering. And I want to learn from that, that there are beautiful laws and ways of being that we've actually witnessed in our community and our tradition. For instance, I'm thinking of the Yovel and the Shemitah year that we learned recently, you know, um, really trying to address human suffering and make inequality as much as they could in an ancient culture entrenched. Um, so I, I think we're really, what we can take from this as a positive thing and learn from it, excuse me, I just went to a different page, is that there's something really beautiful to learn here that in being in, um, through wise discernment, through a path that we dedicate ourselves to not cause harm and suffering, to love our neighbor, to love ourselves, to really be practicing compassion. And that's how we can even do a tikkun of repair of this text and be like, I understand what you were trying to teach our ancestors. And if you believe that God authored this text, that uh, maybe out of fear tactic or punishment, but this is my relationship now to you. And I'm not, I'm not gonna, I don't have to or don't need to buy or hold all of it, but there is something that I can still learn and engage with. And so that's the project here. So I close with a story about how much our people learn that kindness is the Klaugadol, is the the master rule of the Torah. And so in Tanit, which is uh, coming from the Babylonian Talmud, uh, classic rabbinic texts over the past, um, over 2,500 years ago, in Tanit 24a, Rav, who's one of the classic uh, rabbis in the text, Rav comes to a place where there hasn't been enough rain. And he immediately declares a fast. Now that's one of our ancestors and even in some communities still a response to um, what the community sees as a problem as uh, needing God's mercy, God, God to provide rain. So they, uh, Rav requests a fast from the community to, in order to, tried to spurn God to provide rain, and no rain came. So all of a sudden, this prayer leader comes and starts leading services in the community. And he actually acknowledges God in two of the prayers that we still say today as the one who brings both wind and the one who brings rain. And usually those are said separately. One is Mashiv um, Haruak, uh, who causes the wind to blow. We say that, um, uh, it, it, well, they can come together. Mashiv Haruak or Morida Geshem, they go together, cause the, the wind to blow and the rain to fall. We say that, we, we pray for that all winter here in Israel. We say it everywhere across the world, but really we're praying for rain here. So the prayer leader goes and says this, and rain starts to fall. And Rav, totally bewildered, <laughs> goes up to this prayer leader and says to him, who are you and what do you do? Because, you know, Rav pray, prays this uh, prayer daily and, you know, no rain came down. And the man responds, the shiliach sibur, the, the, the prayer leader responds, I teach Torah to children, rich and poor. And I never take money from somebody who cannot afford to pay. 
And so I want us to sit with that, that that is for back then that one, someone had to be mindful of its student, of his students, mindful of their financial situation and their parent and their, and their livelihood and their parents' house, mindful that he wanted to be available to everyone in the community. And it's an act of great kindness and compassion. It's, it's recognizing that sometimes there are those in our communities that have to be treated differently in order to accommodate and have all of us be in community together. And so through this man's compassion and kindness, rain falls. And so with that, in our guided meditation today, I think it's very important that we look at metta, at chesed, at loving kindness, particularly for the self, because the cloud gadol of Ravi Akiva, the, the rule that he learns out for all the Torah from Sefer Vayikra, is this sense that you have to love yourself and you and or and love your neighbor like yourself. And many of us don't love ourselves. It's very challenging and hard. And so it requires a daily metta chesed, a loving kindness meditation to infuse that love and compassion. And that way we can also have it for others to be able to be in alignment with this Torah rule that we want to live in alignment with the path that we are walking on. So I want all of us to come to whatever position one goes in for their um, meditation. For most of us, it'll be seated on a chair or a zafu, a meditation cushion. For others, you're welcome to stand if you need to, just have a chair near you to hold you. Um, you're welcome to lie down. Please keep your eyes open so you will remain awake and alert. I want you to grind, uh, ground your feet in Mother Earth so that you feel held if you're sitting in a chair. Allow your hands to rest on your lap. Come to an upright, dignified position created in the image and the likeness of the divine. And we will begin with three deep cleansing breaths. In breath, the gift of oxygen, we begin to settle and arrive on the exhalation. You may shut your eyes or lower your gaze. In breath. Bringing in that mindfulness and awareness, exhaling anything you need to let go of from the day. In breath, awakening to the good, being here together, refuge and community, and exhaling, arriving, settling to stillness, allowing yourself to be awake and alert to my voice as I guide you. From time to time, you may hear me go silent for you to practice in silence. You may use your breath as your anchor or sounds around you or even sensations in the body. Thoughts will carry you away from time to time. That is the practice. Simply begin again 
Notice whatever is here for you right here and right now, anything calling for your loving attention. Perhaps there's strong sensations in the body. Maybe you're having an emotional response, particularly to the text or the talk. Maybe you're thinking about something in the past or planning something for the future. Whatever it might be, just honor it, almost give it an internal bow and say gently as part of mental noting that you will visit it later. Bringing yourself here, allowing yourself to settle. Relaxing the body and the mind. We are not trying to make anything happen. Starting by bringing your attention to your chest, to your physical heart, or wherever you feel kindness and connection in the body. If you do feel it, If you don't feel it, that is okay. There's no need to judge. For most people, that feeling of kindness and connection in the body is the heart, but it can also be the belly or some other place. Notice if your heart feels open or closed right now or anything in between. Checking in, not in order to change anything, but in order to just know and be present with it. For this practice, we work with intention, the intention to cultivate an open heart a friendlier stance towards ourselves so that we may be friendlier to ourselves and others. This practice right now, we are developing what is known as rach alev, a soft heart. It's actually quite something radical we are doing right now because in this Torah portion and Bahukotai, it is among the curses that says I will cast a faintness into their hearts, meaning a softness, a rach. It's that unease and alienation that uh, the Buddha discussed. And even in Deuteronomy later on in chapter 20, verse 8, the ones who would decide that they are unfit for the military service are called rachalev, soft of heart. And although the Torah doesn't take a position against them or for them, later tradition considers it cowardly. So we in our radical reinterpretation Take Rachalev, this softening of the heart, as a positive, life-affirming, 
wise, wise uh, path, wise way of being. It may feel fake or contrived to you as you start out, and that is okay. We will begin by starting to send beautiful, loving kindness, metta, friendly wishes to ourselves. You may repeat them silently to yourself. May I be safe and protected from internal and external harm. May I be safe and protected, free from internal demons and external threats like those listed in the curses. May I be truly happy and deeply peaceful. May I experience moments of peace and happiness. May I respond to the challenges of life with equanimity, with an openness, with ease. May I be healthy and strong. And when that is not possible, may I accept my limitations with grace. If you found, find that it is difficult to send this loving kindness, this metta and chesed to you as an adult today, it might be easier to imagine it uh, to a younger version of yourself. Connecting to what it is you like about yourself or a good deed you have done. And if nothing comes to mind right now in this moment, connect to your genuine wish to be happy, to be free, to be healthy, to be safe. A wish that you could even share with everyone.
And even in those moments where we are deep in our darkness and our aversion or even attachment, calling upon that which can look at us with love. It might be a religious figure or God, a parent, a spouse, or a deep, close friend. For some of us, it may be our puppy's eyes. Whoever you can see looking at you with love and compassion. As we move through the next phrases, may I be filled with loving kindness. May I be held in loving kindness. May I accept myself just as I am. May I know the joy of being alive. May I find true refuge in my community and God in the teachings of Musar mindfulness and refuge within my own being. Allow yourself to sit quietly for a few moments and notice whatever sensations or feelings arise in your body and heart. Is there a new sense of space and tenderness? Do you feel more at home in your own being? The more you can walk with intention on the path, remembering to regard yourself with kindness, the more you will readily find a sense of connectedness and freedom and to be able to offer this to others. It is fine to understand if you are in the grip of fear or shame or confusion. At times we may even highlight how undeserving and bad we feel about ourselves. Without judgments, we include this reactivity in our practice. May this too be held in loving kindness. I will ring the bell when we are to come out and join each other back in this sacred circle. We'll move into silent meditation right now.
Becoming awake and alert if you have traveled off to other islands with your thoughts or sensations in the body or emotions, bringing your attention back to the present moment. What is real for you right here and right now? Slowly and gently open your eyes if they are closed. 
If they've been lowered in a gaze, just gently bring them up back to the screen, which can be a little daunting. Thank you for your practice and being here. Delighted to have you. We'll move into a short Q&A question, answer, comment as desired. We have Mark with us here. Welcome again and wonderful to have you. Is there anything that you would like to ask or comment on? You're on mute, if you could unmute yourself. Uh, uh, yes, uh, thank you, Rabbi Chasya. Thank you very much for your, uh, for your teaching and meditation. Um, I find this as one of the most troubling parshas in the Torah. And it, and it brings up something that, uh, that as, a, as a person who's experiencing life and not just wishful thinking, but who experiences what's happening in life. And, uh, and, and, and God says that he will, um, I'll give you the rains and, you, and, and you'll get the crops and uh, um, all these promises, you'll, you'll dwell securely in your land, which means no invasions, if you follow all my, my laws. So, which comes first, the chicken or the, I mean, in, it, in other words, does God have to give us all of this first before we'll do what he says, or do we do what he says, and then he'll give us all of it? In other words, does one follow another? Does cause follow effect? In other words, that becomes the problem. Um, and as I think, as we know, you don't always get rain. You don't always get uh, crops. You don't always get all of these promises. And so to, to an, uh, a, a, a people in biblical times, they're probably not as aware of, you know, the changes that happen in life and they have their version of what Hashem is supposed to be doing, mm -hmm. and but it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so, what do you do? You're an, you're you're not an educated people. All you know is is if it's promised and it doesn't happen, they're not keeping their word. And so, what do you what do you do? So it's like, if I was back then and and, and I'm like one of them, I'm thinking, hey, God's not performing His promises. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't do what he says, then why should I follow Hashem? Mm -hmm. And so, of course, what we know always happens chapter after chapter after chapter. They go back to idols. Mm -hmm. if, the real God, if the real God doesn't perform, oh, let's second best. Let's go back to the idols and try. Oh, if you're going back to the idols, then you're going to be punished for that. And so with all of the curses that come, it, it's always this... Um, um, this, the, uh, does, is the word being kept? And if, if the word's being kept, yes, I'll worship Hashem. But if the word, but if he doesn't keep his word, then why should I follow Hashem? In other right. words, is, is, is this hypocrisy or is it, is it reality? And, uh, it's like making promises that you can't keep. And it's very problematic. 
because it's, it's, we wish it would be so that, that we wouldn't be invaded by the, the invader, but they're not maybe listening to Hashem. Or maybe that's Hashem. If Hashem is Echad, uh, Adonai Echad, then it's all God. Everything is God. There isn't anything that isn't God. And so I hear yeah. you. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to come to an end here and let you uh, uh, fill in all the, the my, you know, uh, overcome my ignorance here. No, there's there's no overcoming because you're pointing out some of everything you're sharing is legitimate. And um, I hear your I'm suffering might be too strong a word, but I hear the difficulty and the pain and, and reading this and carrying this and, and having to struggle with it. So um, would you like to say anything else before I comment? No, okay. So what I think is quite beautiful and amazing about our ancestors and tradition, which is a little bit opposite of what you're saying. Of course, there were those who said, God is not following through, so I'm going to go to the idol. And um, you definitely had that in our tradition. You had people who went ahead and re reacted and responded that way. Um, I think people went to idol worship even when they felt God was following through. There, that's a, that's another story of like why one uh, goes to more of a physical manifestation of 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 the divine and not. But that's a, that's another discussion. Um, but I, what I think is so amazing about our tradition are those voices. Um, and you, and as I said, you see this also in, in the Buddhist teachings are the, the voices that actually say, they look at themselves, <laughs> they look at themselves and they believe that they must have done something wrong in order to cause God to have caused this. And it's not the voice that says, God, you're bad. You didn't follow through. I'm, I'm right. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with my behavior. You didn't follow through. Instead, it's a total twist around and looking at, like, I must be responsible on some level. I must have sinned. I must have been off the mark. I must not have been living the path. And that's quite incredible. I'm not saying that we have to do that with everything, but there's something to learn from that. Um, to really look at our own behavior and intention and how, if, if, and how we're causing harm and suffering to ourselves and others. And so obviously you're right. There are times where there's going to be famine and um, it's not, we know now today, obviously it's not necessarily um, based on people's immoral behavior or not uh, living in alignment, but there's also something to be said about not letting the earth lay shallow for a year, like for instance, in the Shemitah year and taking, taking advantage of all the resources of the earth and not letting it rest, that we are causing some of this famine and some of this lack of other things to happen based on our behavior. So it's complicated. And I think what's the beauty of this, Mark, to be honest with you, is like, where can we look at our own responsibility, even if it's uncomfortable and difficult to look at. Um, but I agree with you. Like, obviously, you read those curses over and over and over again. Um, it just feels like uh, um, a kind of like a dictator who wants to punish. <laughs> and it's not healthy. 
it's not how we want to be in relationship with ourselves or others. It's also not how we want to be in relationship with God. Um, and so there's recently been like almost a radical, uh, um, you know, this is a new voice in our tradition, to be honest with you. Until recently, our ancestors would look at, we must be responsible in some way for us, for instance, being in the diaspora and in and, and exile for those of you outside of Israel. Like there was, ne- there was less turning to God and blaming God and finding something wrong with God. That's, that's a new post-Holocaust response and behavior and understandably so but i think we have to try to wrestle with and carry both so i'm i'm with that i do have to um, call it a, a draw for today but i'm so grateful for what you brought and shared and again your vulnerability and your honesty um that you never have to hide what you dislike or your problems or challenges with the tradition and text i'm grateful for your voice and to for bringing that um, so for all of you is sitting with us today or listening later, thank you for joining the Institute for Holiness. We welcome your donations and sponsorships to be able to offer this weekly. Please visit our website at kihilatmusar.com to see our offerings and how you can join us more in different classes and groups and retreats. And as I said, I'm so grateful that you're here today on Sunday May 22nd. Where are we now in the Omer? Do you remember, Mark? I just counted it with my children and I already forgot. (laughs) So here in Israel, we are on the 37th day of the Omer. Outside, it's still the 36th day. And uh, thank you. And we um, have moved into the 22nd day of ER. It's still the 21st for those of you on the west section of the planet. So with that, I thank you. Thank you for joining Mark and everyone else. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Thank you very much.